This is a show about getting spooked for fun, and neither one of the hosts are associated with the attractions discussed in any way. Except for those skeletons in Devin's closet. Some topics may go from ghoulish to ghastly, so viewer discretion is advised. Welcome to The Great American Scream. Listener, uh, don't pay attention. Don't look. Or, don't look anywhere. But right here, this uh, this pocket watch that I am swinging oh. back and forth. Look at the pocket watch. You really want to rate our podcast five stars on Spotify? Whoa! You want it Adam, so bad, Adam? While I've got them hypnotized, tell <laughs> say hello. Hi, uh, happy new year, uh, my lovely people currently under uh, Devin's uh, immensely powerful hypnotic My powers. fingers are getting tired. I don't know how long <laughs> I can swing this pocket watch. Um, happy new year. Welcome back to the Great American Scream. Uh, my name is Adam O'Connell. Oh, my name is Devin Wright. Oh, so it's a new year. We do it different now. Yeah, do it backwards this time. Um, and if you uh, haven't already put in, been put into a hypnotically uh, induced trance uh, by Devin's intro, you will be by the end of this episode because we are going to talk about the art of hypnosis. Specifically, uh, it's used in pop culture and horror, but also like as a, a thing, a cultural phenomenon. As a, as a known and, pra- and uh, faithfully practitioned science. Yeah, and how it's very good and works all the time. Because here's what's interesting about hypnosis, because we've talked about stuff on the show before, like we talk about Ouija and pseudoscience, cryptozoology. Yeah, hypnosis is real. Let me like start yeah. by saying that that hypnosis right, right, right. is a real thing. Hey guys, listen, we know that a lot of the time. You know, on this show, Devin likes to play the skeptic, uh, and Adam comes in with the facts, and they kind of bandy about whether or not hypnotic induction is real. (laughs) Hypnosis is real. It's not. It's probably not real in the way that you think it's real, but it is real, and we're going to talk about that. Brainwashing Um, is real, therefore. Yeah, and hypnosis is something that has always kind of creeped me out. Uh, you know, I uh, not a okay. lot of things give me the heebie-jeebies nowadays, but hypnosis kind of creeps me out. Um, okay, so I'm guessing we're not going to talk about the the. <laughs> I'm so stupid for bringing this up this early. We're not yeah. going to talk about uh, the way people do it, like to do it for sex. I wasn't going to bring it up in this episode because okay. <laughs> I didn't think that was our kind of trotting ground. That was going to be a separate episode. Was <laughs> just about <laughs> hypno kink people. Yeah. <laughs> We were going to talk about it in this episode. Honestly, it's because this outline is already six pages long and I had no room uh, uh, to keep going. But if you want to, yeah. you know, if if that, if you want, if, audience, if you want that, <laughs> you say Google so. Google is a resource. Yeah. Um, you say so. We'll do an episode on it. But no, um, we won't. I always remember. Adam, don't say that. No, we won't. <laughs> I remember, uh, like, have you ever been to, like, a school function or, like, a bar mitzvah or other adolescent function where they had like Mm -hmm. a stage hypnotist in yeah yeah. i every single one of those that i went to i wanted nothing to do with this hypnotist i didn't want (laughs) to i don't know why i thought you were gonna say that you were always the person pulled up nope never i would never let myself get into that situation i never wanted anything to do with the hypnotist 
But you seem like a person who would raise their hand very happily as a child to be a demonstration for something else. Yes. Oh, sure. For like a, ma- like a magician yeah. or anything. Yeah, that's exactly who I was. Yeah. I used the only to... time. Oh, go ahead. No, I was say my dream as a child, um, and I got to do this finally when I turned fifteen, was to be one of the volunteers in the the backlot tour at uh, Disney's MGM Studios, ah. uh, where you got to go up on the big fake boat from the Michael Bay Pearl Harbor movie, and they put you in a wetsuit and they shot water at you. That was my dream, and then I did it, and it was great. Um, so that ah. I will volunteer for magician stuff. I will volunteer for. I wanted yeah. nothing I to do the, with uh, hypnotists. I was in the Gazillion Bubbles show. Mm. on stage mm. that was See, also in nickelodeon splat which is at nickelodeon <laughs> studios in, Uni- in universal orlando Ooh, that's yeah, a that's I a rare slimed. one very yeah. nice thank you thank you um but yeah i want nothing to do with hypnotists and i feel like that like i recognize that fear as an adult because you know when I it took me until uh, college to like actually get drunk. And one of my biggest fears about that okay. was the reason that I, I didn't get drunk for such a long time was because I was afraid of that I was going to say something that I didn't want to or do something that I didn't want to. That's my same thing with like getting high and stuff. I'm always afraid that I'm going to do or say something that I do not mean or do not want to say out loud. And I think that's why I want absolutely nothing to do with hypnosis, stage hypnosis specifically. Yeah. Adam, this is why we're friends is because mm-hmm. I the reason I didn't well, I I drank for a long time that we don't need to go into that. But mm. um, one of the reasons I never did drugs, uh, including the weed, is because I was like, I don't want to not be in control of my exactly. own thoughts and body, even though I was fully getting blackout drunk. So it really didn't make any <laughs> sense. Uh, but also uh, jokes on me because weed's just nice. Disney, don't listen to this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't. this is not what this is about. But um. Yeah, uh, it's been very – hypnosis was interesting, if not terrifying to me. But what I've discovered in researching this episode is that stage hypnosis and hypnotherapy, two completely, absolutely, yeah, 100% yep. different things. <laughs> Nothing right, to do with each between, other, really. Between Carl Lycos from the X-Men comics hypno hypnotizing you and doing mm-hmm. therapy versus the guy on TikTok who can like look at you and figure out what word you're thinking of by yeah. micro movements. Those are two different things. Very, very different things. Um, so I did a lot of research on hypnosis for this episode. So we're going to talk about uh, like the science behind it. And then also we'll then go into its use in horror because it has a pretty uh, long history of being used in horror films starting all the way back in the 1920s. Uh, we will get into that. I pulled up JSTOR for this episode, gang. Oh, my God. I had to wow. go and log in with my college email to get to JSTOR to do this episode. You had, so. Did you set up your alumni access, library.nyu.edu? No. Nope, oh, never. I, well. <laughs> uh, I need to do that. But um, yeah, so you're welcome. Uh, so uh, starting off the basis of hypnosis, Wikipedia describes it uh, as hypnosis is a human condition involving focused attention, reduced peripheral awareness, and an enhanced capacity to respond to suggestion. Those vocab words are going to get thrown around. You're going to hear a lot more. Suggestion, focus, attention uh, are kind of the two big things that hypnosis is. Um, And what's interesting is that even though we know hypnosis is, quote, real, from a scientific point of view, there's no real one agreed upon consensus of what it actually is and how it actually works. Yeah, it would seem like if a scientist were, if if like a cognitive therapist or some other scientist who knows about how brains work were to call hypnosis a pseudoscience they wouldn't be wrong 
because what they're talking about is that it's like not a definable, measurable, repeatable form of science. But that doesn't mean it doesn't it don't it don't work for stage tricks. Yeah. Um, and there's two kind of camps that theories of how hypnosis works falls into. One is that hypnosis is an altered state of mind or a trance, some kind of awareness outside the ordinary state of consciousness. So be, basically being able to actively access your subconscious or have somebody access it for you. Yeah. Or hypnosis is a non-state, essentially a placebo effect, redefined therapy or role playing. So when people say like hypnosis ah. is fake – that's kind of what they mean. And we'll talk about that uh, that kind of role-playing thing more in a second. Um, but the, the key to hypnosis, whether you believe that it is an altered state or it's not, is that it leaves you uh, susceptible to suggestion, which is basically the process by which hypnosis or like hypnotists or hypnotherapists uh, guide another person's thoughts, feelings, and or behavior by giving them stimuli that might elicit them as reflexes, which is basically saying it's that it gives you thoughts that you then are able to perform automatically as a reflex, right. it, kind of. Yeah, it's like the idea that like this person, by putting you into a certain state, can kind of assume and then guide like what you're thinking about, which, hey, like... Ooh, not to get super real, but don't like, don't all forms of art attempt to do this? Like, yes, and we're gonna talk yeah. about that because, and I like, I'm gonna get at that, that in just a second. Because uh, some scientists argue that we self hypnotize every single day when we do things like read a book, drive a car, mow the lawn, or watch a movie. It's activities where we're able to perform a complex task without really thinking about it. Um, and reading a book and watching a movie are very good examples of this because you react to them as if they're real, even though you know they're fake. You are role-playing. You are playing pretend super hard with this movie. Like when you're watching a scary movie and somebody jumps out from behind a tree and you jump or you scream, you are hypnotized. Even though you right, know it is, is fake, you are playing the role of, of reacting to a frightening, threatening stimuli. Yeah, the st yeah the ex the stimulus elicited a reaction as a reflex. Like, yeah, that is what it, it is. is hypnosis, and that's exactly uh, like what st how stage hypnosis works. When you watch uh, somebody get hypnotized on stage, and the hypnotist makes them like cluck like a chicken or whatever they make them do, um, the person that is being hypnotized. They are role playing, whether they are conscious right, of it or not. They're playing along. Yeah, yeah. They wanted to. They might not be one hundred percent totally aware that they're playing along, um, which yeah. is kind of the uh, the paradox of hypnosis that they might think they're not playing along, but they totally are because they want it to work. That's why they say you can't hypnotize somebody who's not willing, or you can't hypnotize yeah. someone who doesn't believe in hypnosis, because at your core you have to want it to work and you have to want to play along, which is why hypnotherapy doesn't work for a lot of people, because uh, for those people that don't believe in hypnosis or don't believe in its benefits or that it works, they're not going to be able to get the effects of hypnosis. Right, and especially as treatments for, uh, like, a lot of times – it can be a part of uh, addiction treatment that, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes an addict doesn't want a, hip, a, a hypnotist to help them get over any issues they're having. And so, of course, it's not going to work. It's the it's the reason why, like, it, it feels kind of like the reverse of when you call up a kid to do a performance on, in a magic show or whatever, and they're super, super nervous and they say they don't want to, but actually, like, if you bring the kid on and you make sure that they feel safe, then they will be very into the experience. Whereas mm -hmm. for adults, 
they will be very about the experience and then be like, this isn't real. It's not, but I want it to be. Yeah. Once they actually get up there. Yeah. Yeah. Like when you do affirmations or manifestations or whatever, that's self-hypnosis because you're implanting a suggestion in your own brain of whatever you are affirming for your day. Um, and uh, so that way when it happens to you later or you automatically do the thing that you said you were like affirming yourself to do, uh, it, it was an unconscious suggestion. Yeah, the male grind set people, <laughs> they're just self-hypnotizing. Yeah, it's about drive, it's about power people. Self-hypnosis. Yeah, that song, yeah. that yeah. song, self-hypnosis. <laughs> well, it's not self-hypnosis, it's rock hypnosis. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> um, so uh, hypnosis always begins with hypnotic induction or the process of putting somebody into hypnotic trance. Uh, experts redefine this as refocusing your attention, uh, defining your role in the like role playing scenario, uh, heightening the client expectation, etc. That's kind of a couple things at play here in order to put somebody into a hypnotic trance. And there are several different induction techniques with the most popular, most widely used ones being eye fixation. This is when we think of the swinging pocket watch technique. That's what this is. Um, basically allowing the client to focus on one not complicated thing in order to kind of turn off the rest of their thinking, the rest of their senses. Uh, the pocket watch specifically isn't really used anymore. It's really only used nah. in movies uh, because it's become such a cliche that using it nowadays would be distracting. It's uh, it's a fourth wall break. Yeah, exactly. It's immersion like, breaking. Yeah. yeah. Um, and this technique was invented by James Braid, a Scottish scientist in the 1840s. Um, the general idea of hypnotic induction of focused attention is uh, to get the subject to focus on the object and nothing but the object, uh, which then once they have gotten that focus, uh, we move on to suggestion, which is a technique not just used in hypnosis. Like I said before, when we do affirmations in the mirror, this is suggestion. Um, through suggestions, through metaphor or other statements, a hypnotist will implant ideas, thoughts, and or behavior that can later be enacted as a, quote, reflex. Uh, and then, yeah, that's, the yeah. Thing. That's, that's what they do. You're <laughs> yeah. right. Um, and then, uh, hypnosis is also connected to the idea motor response, uh, a response that causes a subject to move unconsciously, which we talk about in the Ouija episode. Cause that's how Ouija boards work. Um, mm -hmm. And so Braid extended the theory of the idea motor response into the ideodynamic or the mono idea motor response. Uh, this meaning that hypnosis concentrates uh, hip, uh, hypnosis concentrates a subject on a single idea in order to amplify the idea motor response. For example, if a subject is heavily concentrated on like a light, them falling asleep or closing their eyes while staring at that light would be considered an unconscious response. Yeah, this is um. D did your friends ever have you put your like knuckles together and your finger, your mm -hmm. pointer finger straight up and then wrap a string, an imaginary yeah, string around yeah, them yeah, yeah, yeah. and your fingers would close together? Yeah. That's idea motor response. Yeah, exactly. That's, and specifically mono idea motor, like the focus mm -hmm. on the one thing mm -hmm. is what brings it in. Yeah. It's because just hypnosis. All yeah. your friends in fifth grade in, in Mr. Carter's class were hip hypnotizing it's me. Infinitely more common than you think it is. Um, so, and people can have varying degrees of uh, hypnotic uh, susceptibility, and there are several scales to measure how susceptible someone is to hypnosis. Uh, one scale widely used is the Stanford scale developed in 1959, which is when a lot of hypnotic research was going on. Uh, the higher yeah, the number on- Yeah, money. 
the, the higher the number on the scale, the more susceptible that person is to hypnosis. Uh, and it's measured in a person's response to hypnotic induction or basically how far they are able to get into the hypnotic process. And, you know, this all has to do with how much you, quote, buy into hypnosis. Because if you really want it to work and believe it to be real, chances are you're going to get pretty far down this scale. Um the first, uh, so this one's one through 12. First uh, being postural sway. Two is eye closure. Three is left hand lowering. Four is ah. immobilization of the right arm. Uh, five is finger okay. lock. I didn't get any, uh, I guess you can't no like, details. open and close your <laughs> I got no details. Um, six is, ar- now we go back, arm rigidity in the left arm. Seven okay. is hands moving together. Eight is verbal inhibition, so response to your name. Yeah. Uh, Jump nine, to the left, stick it, slide. Yeah. Zigzag <laughs> across the floor. Nine is hallucination or being able to picture yourself flying. Uh, oh, I want that one. Ten is eye catalepsy, uh, which I realized I totally should have Googled before I because I have no idea what that is. Uh, catalepsy. Uh, it's like a... Um, state of marked loss of voluntary motion in which the limbs remain in whichever part the uh, ever position they are placed so like your eyes can like stick to a place i guess oh, like they can okay, put okay, your okay. eye somewhere and it won't move yeah uh 11 is post i can't do without hypno i can't do that <laughs> i can't look at one thing um 11 is post-hypnotic so that is kind of those post-hypnotic suggestions being working and then 12 is amnesia forgetting the the time that you were you were being hypnotized i like here you didn't specify with post-hypnotic but you do have here post-hypnotic parentheses changes chairs because i imagine is that was the suggestion yeah chairs and then they change chairs but i like that this level of hypnotism is just that you have the ability to make somebody change chairs solely chair based um so uh now let us move on to talk about hypnosis in horror specifically Uh, i don't want to get too deep into the science and debate over how hypnosis works because uh frankly we're not qualified to talk about that but we are qualified to talk about this next part so um you know (laughs) To talk we both about have baccalaureate degrees. Yeah. To talk about hypnosis in horror, we have to go back to where most of our horror discussions begin, uh, is with the Universal Classic Monsters. Specifically ah, they're right over there. Exactly. Specifically Adam, I'm so close to them. Specifically oh yeah, I forgot that uh apparently in the the Universal Hollywood parks you can still meet the classic monsters. You can't do that in Florida. But you can still meet yeah. Frankenstein and Dracula in Hollywood. Yeah, so. I'm currently chilling out with them. We're having yeah. my ties. <laughs> Um, So specifically, we're going to talk about Dracula uh, starring Bela Lugosi, 1931, uh, and the lore of vampires having a hypnotic or mesmerizing gaze did not start with this film, but uh, they certainly use it to their advantage uh, because Bela Lugosi was a handsome, handsome man and he had this really piercing gaze uh, and his whole like look into my eyes deal that he has in this movie where he mesmerizes people through his eyes is one of the most memorable things about his performance. A lot of the lighting in this movie is specifically tailored to like highlighting his eyes and the way he looks at people. Um, Good. And it works. He's hot. <laughs> he, I I sent you Bella Lugosi's star, right? I was walking. Out yes, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. I saw Bela Lugosi and I was just, I, you know, I kind of swooned. He was, I mean, yeah. he wasn't there, obviously. It was just a star with his name on it. But, but he's his aura. He's sexy. Yeah. 
Piercing um, gaze, even from beyond the grave. Yeah. So, uh, and then five years later, a sequel, Dracula's Daughter, was released, who also had hypnotic powers, but she used a, gol- a golden ring as her hypnosis tool instead. Uh, and this would kind of be the early beginning. You may know it as the other, <laughs> the uh, by its other name, Bride of Frankenstein. That's right. Dracula's daughter is Frankenstein's wife. Dracula well- <laughs> is Frankenstein's monster's uncle. <laughs> um. So uh, this would be the early beginning of hypnosis as a subject or a tool in horror, but there are three kind of camps of that. The first being hypnosis as a theme or a tool used by villains, by monsters in a horror film. The second, uh, hypnotherapy being used as a trope or as a creepy tool. And the third, which is my favorite, is the gimmick of hypnotizing the audience or inserting subliminal messages into movies. We're going to talk about all three. I'm very excited Hell to yeah. talk about them. So. We're going to start with the first one, talking about hypnosis as a tool used by villains. Uh, and this is this kind of character trope called the Svengali, which we're going to – we'll define what that means in a second. Right. Um, I, so I said that Dracula started it and that's already kind of a lie because really if we want to come back to this like Svengali uh, hypnos- hypnotist villain trope – uh, we have to go back to The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, a German expressionist film that came out in Ooh. 1920, which if you are a Going horror back fan. back to the Weimar Republic, baby. Oh, yeah. If you're a horror fan and you haven't seen The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, you got to go watch it right now. Uh, it is a German expressionist film about an insane hypnotist who uses a, a somnambulist or someone who induces sleepwalking to commit murders. Somnambulist is something that uh, Homer said as he was driving to get that trampoline. <laughs> trampoline. Somnambulist. Trampoline. Um, so at the time when this movie came out, 1920, uh, hypnosis was known mostly as a stage performance, uh, magic trick, vaudeville trick, and opinions on it were pretty mixed. Uh, scientists. So began- just like now. Yeah. Scientists began to debate whether or not hypnosis could be used to make a person commit crimes. Like they started to talk about the moral, ethical, legal implications of hypnosis. And there was a serious consideration of like, do we need to make hypnosis illegal under some circumstances (laughs) in case they make people do crimes? Yeah. Should we outlaw magic? Like just in case it's real. Like, (laughs) yeah. Basically, and, you know, movies like this didn't help. Um, And remember, hypnosis was extremely sensationalized and performed mostly by charlatans. So it was a common belief, you know, before we could explain the intricacies of what it does psychologically, that hypnotists basically had this unlimited power over the people that they hypnotized. Uh, And that's exactly what happens in the cabin of Dr. Caligari. And, you know, these both fed into each other. Um, And this movie went on to heavily influence people like Tim Burton and David Bowie. uh, And then also before that influenced the classic monster films themselves. It's at the root of a lot, a lot of stuff, not just uh, hypnosis and horror. But uh, that's kind of where we were starting out from uh, when we started to talk about hypnosis in this context. Yeah, we're starting from a place of everyone's like, holy shit, German expressionism, (laughs) hypnosis. We cut to the American Congress. They say, should we outlaw? <laughs> yeah, everyone outlaw was like, hypnotism? should we do something about this? <laughs> <laughs> These guys are swinging clocks and yeah. the people like wake up and then they start clapping and clucking like chickens. Do we need to make a law against this? Yeah. 
Um, this is crazy. That would be, I'm thinking about how funny it would be if they tried to outlaw hypnosis, even today, but at any time period. Yeah, but. I think the enforcement mechanism is the real problem. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we start to see this trope in a lot of horror in the 1920s through the 1950s. It had a pretty big kind of span before horror kind of moved to like sci-fi, alieny in the 50s. Uh, but we see it again in White Zombie, also starring Bella Lugosi. Which we talked about that in the zombie episode uh, because hypnosis is often used as a tool in these older movies uh, in inaccurate depictions of voodoo. Uh, okay. As you know, because when we talked about the origins of voodoo zombies, that voodoo zombies are mind controlled, they are brainwashed. Um, and so in some of these movies, like White Zombie, they would use hypnosis as a way to uh, turn people into voodoo, voodoo zombies through hypnosis. Was it accurate? Absolutely not. Under no circumstances. Yeah, every part of that is wrong. Every part of it is incorrect, yeah. but it was very popular. Um, and so back to the name of this trope, the Svengali. Uh, the name Svengali comes from a character in George de Maurier's 1890, 1894 novel, Trilby. Um, and Svengali is a character. It's where the who, hat also gets its name. Yeah. Uh, Svengali is a character who seduces, dominates, and exploits the main character, Trilby, uh, to make her into a famous singer. And almost immediately after this novel came out, the word Svengali became a term for one who manipulates or controls other people. Like if you called somebody a Svengali, you were calling them a manipulative bastard. Um, wow. And a, yeah, a Svengali character is often a manipulative and controlling mentor, often controlling through hypnosis or other forms of mind control. And we're talking about horror. But in general, we see Svengali characters appear a lot in modern film. If you've ever seen a movie about a band or an actor or a singer and they have like a really manipulative manager, manager or agent. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly what a Svengali like at its core, because it has to become like a mentor character. Um, the Phantom from Phantom of the Opera is an excellent example, even though he's not he's not an agent but he's like a, he's not a manager he's a mentor to he's christine kind of an agent, <laughs> sure if you really think about it yeah he's like a mentor to christine and he's a manipulative almost putting her in a trance-like state or often putting her in a trance-like state um <laughs> i'm i sounded like i said trance-like state and it, it made me chuckle <laughs> Um, I put you in a trance. I put state. you in a trance state. Uh, anyway, you, you watched Kim Possible and see she go. You are now in a trance state. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, moving on from that, uh, hypnotherapy in horror is uh, where we, we start to see hypnotherapy itself used uh, a lot more in like horror of the seventies, eighties, nineties, where. Uh, it kind of became hypnotherapy was treated as almost like a last resort for people that were suffering from demonic possession. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. The Exorcist is a great example of this, where there's that famous scene where they bring Reagan to a hypnotherapist to try and figure out what the heck is wrong with her, and it's considered it's taboo. They're like, oh, it's yeah, because like, we Daniel don't know what else Pazuzu to do. Didn't listen to the yeah. Uh, we're gonna bring her to it to a hypnotherapist, um, uh, and in the film. Uh, her, the, her hypnosis is one of the things that starts to bring Pazuzu out like to her exterior. Uh, and it causes this foul stench in the room that makes everyone start to cough and gag. You see her face transform and then she attacks the hypnotherapist, grabbing him really hard by the balls and knocking him to the floor. I am not kidding. That is what happens in the movie. Did you forget? Kind of a Chucky, more of a Chucky gag. Yeah. Um, and Linda Blair does a very cool, very creepy job in this scene. Um, and I think get enough credit. Uh, yeah, she's fantastic in this movie. And it goes back to 
uh, hypnosis being the accessing of the unconscious, it bringing something that's inside of you out, which made a lot of people afraid of hypnosis, that there is something deep and dark inside of you that hypnosis or a hypnotherapist is going to be able to bring out. But the fact of the matter is, if you are being hypnotherapized, uh, <laughs> um, if there's a word for that. You want to take it again? No, I don't. Okay. If you, if you are being hypnotized, um, that uh, I wanted to be specific that it was in a therapy context. Um, if you are being hypnotized, uh, now I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, if you are being hypnotized, um, whatever is going to come out of you is something that deep down you want to be able to release. Uh, anyway, now that I've gotten over that mountain, uh, <laughs> hypnosis, uh, hypnosis is not often a tool used in real life exorcisms. However, that does go back to hypnosis as being a form of role play. It is not totally out of the question that we might get this kind of reaction from a person who thinks they may be possessed or wants to be diagnosed with possession or something like that. Right. Much like you could argue that forms of exorcism that are seen as successful could be a form of psychic suggestion or hypnotism in that the person wants the exorcism to work. Therefore, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, Therefore, they emit a big smoke monster out of their mouth. <laughs> and and another... then the priest's uh, cross turns into a lightsaber and he slashes them away. This is great. Trademark, trademark, trademark. Trademark, trademark, trademark. Um, Not lightsaber, though. It's just a, it's oh, a yeah, laser no. sword. It's a yeah, laser sword. Uh, yeah. So uh, another big one to talk about in uh, this kind of area, hypnotherapy and horror, is in the movie Candyman. Um, and we kind of got two things to talk about here in Candyman. Uh, so the original Don't film, say it again, Adam. What? I've only two. got two. This is five. You plebe. What? Candyman's five. Beatles uses well, okay, three. Okay, first, well, if, if you are, if, if you're wrong, we're screwed. First <laughs> and it has to be into a mirror. Okay. Get well, it straight. Well, okay. I just wanted to have some fun on this podcast and you're just really. No, no fun. Okay, no more fun. No more fun. Tell us about Candyman. I will. God. Uh, <laughs> um, so uh, the original film, and by extension, the sequels, and then also the remake slash requel that came out in this past year, uh, we'll mostly be talking about the original in this, uh, has two very interesting examples of hypnosis, one being in-universe and one being out-of-universe. So Ooh. Tony Todd's Candyman, other than being one of the greatest, hottest horror villains of all time, uh, he got Tony Todd is is perfect in all aspects of the word perfect. Um, he displays this mesmerizing power similar to Dracula's, and just the sound of his voice is enough to put Helen into this trance that she is unable to run away from. How are these scenes achieved? You asked. Uh, they hired a real hip. They uh, thank you. You're very smart. They hired a real hypnotist. Um, what? And, okay, so you're this telling is, me I should just hire a hypnotist whenever I have to act. Yes, that's, that's exactly what I'm saying. Because listen, so in order to display Candyman's true power over Helen, uh, the director Bernard Rose hired a hypnotist to hypnotize Virginia Madsen, who played Helen, on set. Uh, he chose this method specifically at first for the scene where Helen first sees Candyman. Uh, they wrote it that she, you know, she starts screaming when she sees Candyman, but he thought that was so cliche of this like endless overt screaming in horror films and he wanted yeah. it to be more ethereal than that so the hypnotist taught uh bernard rose some techniques and uh he would work with uh, virginia madsen for about 10 minutes before each scene with Candyman was shot 
Um, and the hypnotist gave him a trigger phrase that when he said it, it would put her into this trance-like state. So anytime you're watching the movie and you are seeing her entranced by Candyman, especially when they have those close-ups on her unblinking eyes, she is actively, the actress is actively in a hypnotic trance. I need somebody to give me a trigger phrase to make me cry on command. Right? Make me a good actor. This is genius. Yeah. In 20, there's a 2019 interview with Tony Todd where he talked about how he thought it allowed them to explore their characters in a much deeper way because it's exactly what you want to do as an actor is you want to get straight to the subconscious. Um, yeah. And he said it created a really deep sense of trust between him, Rose, and uh, Madsen. And like this hypnotist hacked acting, right? <laughs> it, it like almost makes me angry how brilliant it is because on one hand, in the hands of like a a, a bad director, this would be oh awful, awful, yeah. Um, but it seems like from what I've read that it was handled very well and was a very useful tool on set of Candyman. Oh my God. Isn't that crazy? Every set should have three professionals in 2022. A sensitivity reader, a intimacy choreographer, and a hypnotist. <laughs> <laughs> um, finally, in this category, I want to talk about Get Out uh, because that's probably one of the most prominent, most popular uh, recent films to use hypnosis yeah. as a plot device. Uh, I think and, about it every morning. Oh, it's I'm, uh, stirring my tea. Horrifying and so well done. Uh, so if you haven't seen it, the character of Missy, who is the mother of the what are they? The Ar- uh, Armitage? Arm- what's her name? I don't know. All right. Uh, the 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 mother of the family is a therapist who had previously offered to hypnotize Chris, the main character, to cure him of his nicotine cravings. And about thirty minutes of the film, she manipulates him into sitting down with her late at night, and then she starts stirring uh, her her tea with a spoon on like a porcelain teacup, and it puts Chris into this trance. Soon, he starts to answer personal dark questions about his mother's death. He starts crying, even though it, like he's unable to control his emotions, and then he's finally paralyzed before he falls into what's known as the sunken place, as it's called in the movie. This like yeah. dark void of nothingness where he can only gaze into this small rectangle like reality of the like the what the real world is. Um, and yeah, and then then in the sunken place, there's a member of the Dai Li, and there's a there's a lamp spinning around him, and he says, "There is no war in Ba Sing Se." <laughs> And, and then he goes, the Earth King has invited you to a vacation in Lake Laogai. And then your eyes turn wide and you go, I am honored to accept the king's invitation. And then you get killed by Longfang, I think, with a big rock. Yeah, spoiler alert. It's been a while. <laughs> um, there was a big debate when the movie came out over uh, what a big, big discussion over what the sunken place was and what it was supposed to represent. Uh, Jordan Peele himself stated that, quote, we are all in the sunken place. The sunken place means we are marginalized. No matter how hard we scream, the si- system silences us in relevance to the black experience in, in the United States. And but through that, he uses hypnosis as very traditionally, almost in a 30, 1930s kind of sense, hypnosis as a power tool. Uh, yeah. And it's the the when we see it, it's the first outright display of the family's hostility towards Chris and how they feel they are able to exert power over him as a black person. Um, and it's accuracy like it, it's one of the most kind of played straight versions of hypnosis we see in 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 yeah. film uh Especially where, in modern film yes uh and its accuracy has been discussed by several professional therapists and hypnotists because when this movie came out uh there was kind of a resurgence in the the hypnotist fear of like <laughs> yeah. can this happen to me 
Um, and one of the big things talked about, and we talked about it before, is that you cannot be tricked into hypnosis. If you are not a right. willing participant, it is not going to work. Um, and like I said before, this is how stage hypnosis works. Uh, the people who are up there participating want it to work, so they role play whether they're conscious of it or not. Yeah. Um, oh, sorry. But, you gonna say yeah, something? in the movie, it doesn't it doesn't act that way because it's acting metaphorically as a, another tool that oppressive systems can exert over specifically black people like it it's it's pseudo magical yeah on purpose exactly um and also for missy it uh most professional hypnotherapists agree that it would be kind of a lucky guess that chris was susceptible (laughs) to hypnosis in the first place uh because you know people uh inherently have like hypnotic susceptibility and some people might be really susceptible to it and others might not uh and she really had no way of gauging that uh, yeah, and I mean, like, when we were talking about its use for, for addiction treatment, that, like, it was also kind of a lucky guess to guess that Chris was protesting being hypnotized, not because he didn't believe in it, but because he was like, oh, no, I don't know, I don't really, yeah, that's yeah. just kind of weird. Yeah, um, although a spinning spoon could hypnotize someone, as it could be used as a point of focused attention, uh, I watched a yeah, couple I different things. I self-hypnotize every morning when I'm <laughs> stirring my tea. I watched a couple different videos of a couple different hypnotherapists talking about this scene. Some of them say that it's a totally valid method, but some people said the fact that she's doing that and talking could be too distracting. Yeah. Um, so, up in the air, again, I'm, I'm, I'm no hypnotist, I don't know. Uh, finally... We get to talk about <laughs> the the subtle art of hypnotizing the audience. Uh, it's per- subtle. <laughs> perhaps the most outlandish utilization of hypnosis and horror. Uh, one that is has not been used in a really long time, but man, I wish it was. Um, the very William Castley gimmick of hypnotizing the audience prior to a film or placing subliminal messages into the film to produce the same effect. Which, by the way... Uh, I think we should do an episode on subliminal messaging and horror films. I think that would be really fun. Um, oh, yeah. So it feels kind of like the the backtracking episode. Yeah. You know? But like uh, for real. Yeah. And let's be clear. As yeah. you talked about this, you, when you watch a horror movie, you are being hypnotized. You are in hypnosis. Everybody's being <laughs> hypnotized all the time is the uh, thesis of this episode. Yeah. Um, when somebody jumps out at you and you scream, even though you know the movie isn't real and you aren't in any real danger, that is hypnosis. You are playing along with the movie. Uh, and of course, William Castle loved this. Loved this. He's the he's the movie equivalent of the guy at camp who tried to put people's hands into warm water so they would piss themselves. Yeah, he that crazy, crazy, that wacky man. He loved this. Um, and the gimmick itself goes, he started it, goes back to his film. Of course uh, he did. Yeah. The 1958 film Terror in the Haunted House, also known as My World Dies Screaming. Way better title for this movie. Way better. Uh, utilize Psychorama, which flashed right. little images at varying points throughout the film. Things like skulls uh, and I think messages that said like, get ready to scream and things like that. Um, and also this wasn't like, it might have been just split second flashes in the film, but in the marketing, this was the film's like main marketing point. Was that I love the idea you. that it wasn't just like a few frames here and there. It was like 
It was like five seconds of flashing text. <laughs> Get ready to scream. Um, and this uh, technique was also, Psychorama was also used in the 1959 film called Date with Death, with which flashed words such as kill and blood at audiences. I don't know what the intended yeah, effect was. Subtle art. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Psychorama soon gave way to Hypnovista, which, uh, quote, ah. actually puts you in the picture. Can you stand it? Uh, unlike actually puts you in the picture yeah and you stand it yeah there was no uh unlike the kind of like technology driven kind of thing of putting frames in a subliminal messaging the thing hypnovista did is simply having a hypnotist uh uh, for this specific middleman, baby. Yeah, specifically for this film, uh, being bill, uh, billed as Emile Franchel, uh, registered psychologist, state of California specialty hypnotism, to purp- uh, purport to mesmerize the audience uh, in a filmed 13 minute prologue. So at at first, uh, after preemptively countering any skeptics in the audience by declaring, "quote It is said you cannot hypnotize an idiot, imbecile, or buffoon." That's uh, how you. Isn't do that it. good? <laughs> That's really good. Uh, so Franchel invokes the power of suggestion and demonstrates the sympathetic yawn, a phenomenon in which the sight of a person yawning causes the viewer to yawn. Everybody knows this. You yawn, yeah. everybody else starts yawning. Um, we love this one. Yeah. He says, quote, you feel as though you are being uh, drawn into the screen, a screen as a hypnotic spiral fills the frame. Uh, the film, he continues, quote, has been filled to the brim with suggestions designed to help you experience the f- uh, the full, all the feelings and emotions that the producers intended you to experience. I love I love the I- idea of taking 10 minutes before a movie and going, listen, guys. You're going to laugh really hard. I want you to enjoy yourselves. Like, come on. It's literally just saying, we're making art. We want to make you feel something. Here's a professional who's going to wave a yeah, clock in front of Yeah, ensure this. Um, and this would be used again in 1960s, The Hypnotic Eye, having the on-screen uh, hypnotist perform his act in entirety, uh, both hypnotizing the characters on screen and then tur- turning, locking eyes with the camera yes. and hypnotizing the theater audience. Love that. Barrel the camera. Um, this one's pretty wild. In 1962, uh, American producer K. Gordon Murray re-released two 1958 Spanish horror films, The Vampire's Coffin and The Robot vs. the Aztec Mummy, which, by the way, that's a crazy title for a movie game. Whoa! Um, the films were presented with a new innovation added by Murray called, quote, Hypnoscope, which is a gimmick in which co- <laughs> in which costumed crew entered the theater at some point <laughs> during the film to menace the audience. And their presence was explained as, quote, a trance of hallucinations called by ma- caused by massive hypnosis. I knew I saw that. That guy gave me my popcorn. <laughs> he ripped my stubs. What are you talking about? Um, so in a four minute. Uh, filmed introduction. This is not hypnosis, Adam. <laughs> in a in a four minute filmed introduction preceding the show, a disembodied voice speaking over an endlessly looping hypnotic spiral explains that quote: "You may feel yourself changing from the gentle person you are to a monster with dark green blood running through your veins, or you may become a vampire with a deep urge within you for a refreshing drink of blood. Of course, these changes will. Or only you happen- may become a chicken <laughs> clucking and whack." <laughs> Flapping your wings. <laughs> of course, these changes will only happen to a few of you, while others will remain as themselves. Oh, okay. Whack. That's how you get them. <laughs> I like you how that had become... nothing to do with the the costumed people that appeared halfway through the movie. Yeah, that's just not hypnosis <laughs> at all. I like you may also become a thirsty moviegoer who wants a nice Coca Cola. <laughs> um, and then finally, this is a very interesting one. 
1986, we're jumping in the future a little bit here. 1986 is right. Anguish, uh, which is a kind of obscure, oft-forgotten film. A very surreal, very violent film starring uh, Zelda Rubenstein, who was he's the medium in the Poltergeist movies, uh, okay. that contains some hidden subliminal messaging. Uh, the claim is made in a pre-credits title card, which warns, quote, during the film you are about to see, you will be subject to a subliminal messages and mild hypnosis. This will cause you no physical harm or lasting effect, but if for any reason you lose control or feel that your mind is leaving your body, leave the auditorium immediately. I wish everything started <laughs> with, hey, if you start to dissociate, just bow just, out. Yeah, Nobody that's cool. Be upset. Um, I wish they had had that before share day at the experimental <laughs> theater wing at NYU. So uh, Zelda Rubenstein's character, she is she's a hypnotist uh, and she utilizes hypnosis throughout the course of the movie. And mm-hmm. it kind of escalates in a second act plot twist when suddenly this like phantom disembodied dialogue not connected to anybody in the film is suddenly heard commenting over the on-screen action following by a seemingly in- uh, uh, incongruous shot of a movie theater watching uh, audience watching a screen it soon becomes apparent yes. that the movie we have been watching so far is actually a movie within a movie, and we are now watching an audience watching the movie along with us, and the subliminal influences of Mother's Hypnotism extends not only to us, the viewers, but to the members of the in-movie audience. And then it pulls out further, it's and kind of, Timon and Pumbaa are sitting in theater kind, chairs. It's kind of putting a hat on a hat, gang. Yeah, it's also kind of like Lion King 1 and a half. It is also like Lion King 1 and a half. It's DVD film. Uh, uh I like that a lot. Yeah, I guess what I'm saying is do any one or any combination of these specific, these last ones again. Do any of them. Yeah. I mean, one, you know, pay pay your movie theater workers more, but once you do, put them into costumes and make them scare it's, guests essentially, the audience. Essentially do the Rocky Horror Picture Show, but different. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but different. Uh, and... You know, I want to say hire hypnotists on your acting on your sets, but like I don't want to give that power to the current regime of people who make yeah, movies. Yeah, only only some of that. you. You know who you are. I don't think you know who. <laughs> I think we just had to say nobody. I think you know if if some of us can't play with the toys, the toys go back in the box. Only Taika Waititi. Taika can use a hypnotist. That's it. I think I'm just going to hire a personal hypnotist. In my rider will be a a fully paid for hypnotist who I need in order to do my art. Yeah, I need him to act. You don't understand. (laughs) But then everybody's going to be like, we don't even need Devin. Just have the hypnotist do it. (laughs) Uh, Well, hey. Thanks for listening to this episode 79. Yeah. Almost at that big eight zero, baby. Were you mesmerized? I hope so. Were you mesmerized? Were you hypnotized? Were you glamorized? <laughs> That's what it's called, right? When vampires do it? Anyway. I guess. Hey, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed, please leave a rate and review on iTunes or a rating on Spotify. You That's can rate on Spotify now. now. Rate us five stars or four stars. Nothing below <laughs> or else your Spotify will crash. It's just a weird bug. They haven't fixed it yet. So uh, just make sure to do four or five to make sure your phone doesn't delete yeah, all we're call- data. Yeah, we're calling them about it. Don't worry. We're on it. <laughs> yeah. No, it'll get figured out uh, at some point. We're, you know, we're not too worried about it. Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> I, th- I think that's all I usually say. Check out patreon.com slash greatscreenpod. We have cool rewards there, including early access to episodes. Adam, can you pimp our social media, please? Yes, you can check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Great Screen Pod. You can also check us out on TikTok now at oh! Great Screen Pod. We are on TikTok. Please go follow us. We're going to make content for the kids. For the children. 
Uh, thank you to Michael Segudo, who does the intro disclaimer, and Stevie Viola, who does the intro and outro music. You can find him on YouTube and on Twitter. A super special thank you goes out to all of our Patreon, Patreon supporters. Our at the Our Patreons at the level of Man in the Fields or higher. So thank you to Regina, Ben, Gail, Joyce, Melinda, and Chris. I've been Devin Wright. I've been Adam O'Connell. And hopefully you have been spooked. And when I snap my fingers, <laughs> you will pee yourself. <laughs> that was terrible. That's <laughs> awful. Why? I, I could have got so much nicer. Yeah. But I'm sorry, you've got to piss yourself now, I guess. 